This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's. Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? <laughs> it's the Irish Times second captain's football podcast coming to you on the busiest day of the season so far. But it's probably fair to say we're in the middle of transfer deadline day as we record on the back of a huge weekend in the Premier League, featuring Man City's defeat by Stoke, among other talking points, and Ken Erdy's just back from Malahide where the Republic of Ireland camp has gathered at the start of a week that will finish with a novelty, Ken, a competitive match mm. for the Martin O'Neill, Roy Keane regime against Georgia next Sunday. It'll be a welcome change of pace. Yeah, I, I, I honestly can't wait for it, Owen. Sunday, I'm counting the days. Six to go. There is the, don't worry, Ken, the old man friendly will take care of one of those days for you, and yeah. we'll get to all that in a moment. But your initial reaction to the story of the afternoon so far, Falk out of Manchester United? Wow, Falk Wow, is my reaction. That's I, I think it's a brilliant signing. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's six million pounds is the loan fee. Now, mm, there seems to be. Well, you got to understand. Falcao joined Monaco last season for fifty million euros. He's a George Mendes player. You don't get a player, a George Mendes player, who's just signed for his Pasco for fifty million last year, really cheap. Okay, <laughs> so whatever the headline figures on this, we can be fairly sure that there's some major cash in the pipeline for George Mendes and Falcao. More than 50 million euros, I would be surprised if it was any less than that. The reason this is all happening is that Monaco's owner, Dimitri Rubalovlev, recently got divorced from his wife. Um, What's that got to do there? Well, uh, they, they were domiciled in Switzerland for tax purposes. Uh, Switzerland is uh, one of those uh, progressive countries uh, in which, uh, when you get divorced, uh, it's considered the just thing to do is considered to be a very equitable split of the right. uh, of the family property. What are we talking about here? Pretty sizable chunk. Yeah, I mean, around about uh, in, in a little over, a little north own of three billion euros <laughs> uh, in the largest divorce settlement in history. That's a big settlement. So even though he's obviously got quite a lot of money left over. He doesn't have quite as much money as he maybe thought he did, in discretionary terms. Yeah, it doesn't feel like he's still got a lot of money. Yeah. I'm going to say that he feels a little short-changed by life There's there's a lot less walking around money there for the the big man. Yeah, walking around money is suddenly, you know, he's he's got to maybe pick and choose a little bit more. Are you going to have the regular or the large? I'm going to have the... Probably the regular, actually. Probably the regular. Regular diet. Yeah, regular. Um, So, you know, he's... uh, he, he obviously, Hermes Rodriguez uh, went to Real Madrid and now Falcao leaving there as well. Um, but whatever about the financial details of it, I mean, we can, I'm sure they'll become more clear in time. Uh, you know, Manchester United are, are throwing money around at the moment, as Ed Woodward promised they would, and he's made good on all his promises. I think, you know, just to get a player in like that is, 
has has only got to be a good for them. I mean, I remember, for instance, when Robin van Persie joined them, thinking, "Why are they signing him? He's not the player they need." And what happened? Van Persie scored almost, a, you know, Van Persie scored probably twenty goals in the first twenty games. But they've already signed their Van Persie, so why do they need to sign another player? They look like they don't really need because maybe the old one is not quite the Van Persie they signed a couple of years ago. I mean, at that point, Van Persie was the best player in the league. He came in and he banged in goals in every every match. They let in plenty of goals. They let in the same number of goals in 2013 when they won the league, 43, as they did last season under David Moyes. The difference was they scored a lot more goals. And one of the big reasons for that was Van Persie was just... Van Persie was winning games for them every week. And, you know, this whole argument, which which everybody, you know, at the time when they signed him, it was like... Well, is there, should they really be signing Van Persie? Aren't there other areas of the team that need attention? And that may well have been true. In fact, that was true. They they were short in midfield. They were short in defence. And those problems became more and more apparent. But they only really became apparent when you looked at the results when Van Persie stopped doing that, when he started getting injured. Last season, Van Persie being injured was a massive problem for Manchester United. You know, that was one of the main reasons why they failed. Uh, you know, if, if, if I mean, it, it never seemed as though Van Persie and Moyes had a particularly good relationship. That's that's true. Whether he was ever going to reproduce his very best form for Moyes is kind of academic. But the point was, he kept getting injured. You can't rely on him to be fit. It seems so. Then you're carrying a lot of transfer, a lot of uh, salary around there. To ju- on the basis that one of and also Falcao has had knee injuries as well. So have you got two very highly paid players, both of whom might potentially not be able to play all that much? Mm, I mean, that, that's the Let's risk. Let's just hope they're, they're injured at different times. Would be the point. That is the risk they're taking because you got to remember also with Falcao. I mean, Falcao tweeted the other the other night. It's a dream come true to join Real Madrid and then deleted the tweet a few minutes later. Oh, no, then maybe that was jumped the gun a bit there. So um, he, he then said his, his account had been hacked. You know, you can imagine um, what, what went on there. Um, so he, he obviously had been, uh, there, there had been a lot of talks between him and Real Madrid, who by a, a kind of comical twist are now signing Javier Hernandez. They've signed Javier Hernandez, Real Madrid. So he's joining them for, I think, one and a half million. And Falcao, the player that Mendes was trying to get in there, is not going to go there. I mean, we were talking to Sid Lowe on Thursday about this. And again, it's, it's one of those where you're looking at it going, why would they sign him? They don't really need him. And I think at some point they probably thought, well, you know what? We actually really don't need this player. Considering what he's going to cost us, we really don't need him. Um, whereas Manchester United maybe are in a slightly different situation. They're thinking, you know... <laughs> People say that the strongest part of our team is this, is this front two. Really, really though, we've we've scored what? How many goals have they scored this season? But Van Persie hasn't been playing. They haven't scored against. Yeah, Van Persie hasn't been playing. You know, uh, Van Persie. I suppose had the Van Persie's played the last the last two matches, right? Um, Juan Mata's goal against Sunderland is the only goal they've scored in four games. Did they score? They, they Rooney scored against Swansea. In the defeat, the two-one defeat. So they've you know they didn't score against. Um, uh, MK Dons, and then they drew against Burnley. So, you know, you can't really say that that front two is, is performing at the moment. If they get another guy in who, who, when he was playing for Porto and Atletico Madrid, was better, in my opinion, than either Rooney or Van Persie. Um, how can that be? How can that be bad? We'll ask John Bruin if it can be bad a little later on. Time now for Kennedy's report on sport from the field. So we went out today to. I say we. I mean, I went well, out. We sent you out there. We were back here so. talking to Donegal and talking Kerry Mayo. We missed you on that one. Sorry oh, about that. I, I, you... I was watching some of that. What was going on with that Donegal match? I know. An extraordinary uh, day at HQ. I thought these guys were supposed <laughs> to be, uh, I thought these guys were supposed to be, uh, you know, 15 men behind the ball merchants. That's what I, I, I thought it was going to be. So did Ocean McConville. And then they score, I mean, 3-14 points. I was, uh, I was uh, shocked. While also managing to get men behind the ball. Well, I had been conditioned to expect a simple win. I, t- I turned on the television. I was doing a little bit of work and I decided might as well. You know, I've, I've got the option of Arsenal versus Leicester, mm-hmm. which I, you know, I watched a bit of. I saw the couple of goals. I thought, okay, you know, I can see how that's going. Might switch over the other game. This drama was in progress, so I just left it on. But uh, I couldn't I couldn't understand uh I'm going to have to listen, I suppose, what I'm saying here to the, first, the, show, the first show yeah. in order to try and find some explanation for what happened there. Oh, there's plenty of explanation there. Don't worry. We, Sh- we go deep on that. Shea Given, of course, absolutely delighted. Of course. Um, tweeting his uh, 
support. The obligatory question about that today. Uh, he massively delighted. Just gutted that he wasn't able to be there. Uh, but his family were sending him updates. Uh, he had to go to Aston Villa against Hull. He's working for Aston Villa. Um, but of course, Shay Given is back. Um, he is the uh, the talent that Martin O'Neill has unearthed so far in his search for fresh faces. I mean, O'Neill. Okay, you know, O'Neill has not made any promises that he hasn't been able to fulfil. You know, I mean, he's been saying all along, "Ooh, you know, we, I don't. I'm not really seeing the players." You know, he said in February, um, you know, where that he confirmed that he was looking at some, you know, ancestry rule players, foreign born Irish players trying to see what might be available. And he said it will be interesting to see what kind of squad we've got in a year's time. So now half that time has elapsed and the only new face is Shea Given. Uh, he's back. Uh, and I think it's clear that Given has wanted to be back for some time, but the previous manager didn't want him back. Uh, he seemed to think, well, you're retired, so I consider you still to be retired. Whereas now, um, he's been able to come back. So here he is today, talking a little bit about the reasoning behind his return. I probably missed it as much as anything. You know, you, the honour of playing for Ireland, the, the buzz that you get, the, just the, the privilege to, to play for your country, you know, you, you miss that. And, you know, you're a long time retired. It's that you have a long time to look back. And I don't want to think in 10 years, you know, I should have, you know, given it an go or played in a few games or... Tried to, tried to help the country as best I could. I don't want to have any regrets when I when I do hang up the gloves, and you know that was sort of eating away at me as well. And and I felt that I could still help the help the team, help the squad, and you know, and of course, help Martin and help Roy as well. I was Martin, wondering, was Roy Keane at Villa a factor in this at all? Well, you probably need to ask Roy that, but no, Roy's been great since he came to Villa, and I'm sure you know he's a big help in getting me back in the squad. Obviously, he sees me every day in training at, at Villa, and, and and you know he's. He's on the phone to Martin regularly, of course, and, and keeping an update, and I'm sure that was a big, big factor as well. Sure. I don't know if it was, but Shea Given says it probably was. It's no harm Keane being there. You can only assume that Given must be sharp in training because you always have to worry if a player is not playing regularly. Yeah. Uh, maybe partic- I was going to say maybe not a goalkeeper, maybe particularly a goalkeeper. Yeah, and I mean, he, he, he acknowledged that himself, and he said that he, said that he accepted that if um, if... He wasn't playing regularly, then he it would be difficult for him to be picked for Ireland. And he was asked, "Well, does that mean you're looking for a new club today?" And he said, "Well, yeah, um, I'm looking for you know, obviously, a lo- loan transfers could still happen after the transfer deadline. So he could, you know, even if he hasn't moved somewhere by the end of today, which mm. frankly at this point looks unlikely. Um, I presume he wouldn't be over here if the move might be about to happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, Kevin Doyle was there, you know, it's not him moving today. I mean, there's you know, they may all be hopping on a plane." Um, right about now uh, to, to get to wherever they need to go but you know he could still go on loan somewhere and um, and we'll see how that uh, we'll see how that progresses but uh, yeah I mean the, the, he, he's talking about Keane there and Keane being an influence I mean Keane and Given have not had a very good relationship at least in public terms over, over recent years uh, I mean Keane has consistently slated Given <laughs> you know uh, well I mean I remember it started the first time I remember it coming up was uh some of these guys want to get 200 caps, you know? And it wasn't one of these rides where, you could, you know, it was it had been sparked off by something. It was totally nondescript right up until the moment Roy Keane threw this massive hand grenade that landed on uh, Shea Given's like lap. these guys want to get 200 caps. You really know, uncalled for. It was, it was, he, his point then was about the fact that we hadn't developed alternatives to Shea Given. And, it, and he seemed to be implying, well, Given, you know, wants to play every game. He's a bit of a dog in the manger when it comes to friendlies. You know, friendlies should be used to give other players. You know, that was a while ago. Obviously, Roy Keane may not necessarily think the same thing as he, as he thought then. Um, where's my goalkeeper? That's another one. <laughs> I think I remember when that Thierry, was said. Yeah. That was Thierry Henry. Where is my goalkeeper was how Roy Keane chose to interpret the, the, where, the where the guilt should lie for, <laughs> for that goal. So one can only assume that it's these two mature professionals have have uh, settled their differences or, or whatever. Um, another thing that Shea Given was speaking about today, and it, and it's, you know, it's one of the, I suppose, increasingly a big subject in Irish football, is Jack Greedish, the young Aston Villa player, who came on yesterday and was the subject then of a package on Match of the Day 2 in which they showed the five brutal challenges to which he was subjected after coming on for Villa against home and just chopped down repeatedly, really violently, um, to the point where he's he's looking around wide-eyed, sort of laughing, but giggling nervously, thinking, what, what, <laughs> why don't you like me? What's happening here? Take it as a compliment, son. 
I suppose is the uh, is the thing. But here's Given talking about his his Villa teammate Greta Shu, of course, has represented Ireland at several youth levels, but now uh, is said to be considering whether or not to uh, take it into the senior team because he also could play for England. Then it seems as though England might be interested in having him. No, he's a big talent, you know, and you know he's he's come on even at the weekend or yesterday against Holland. He was fantastic and. You know, we all hope he he, he he comes and plays for Ireland. I think he's meeting up with under 21s this week, and I think the key is not to put too much pressure on him. I think himself and his dad are going to be making that decision maybe over the next number of months. Ideally, would like him straight away because I feel he's good enough to play straight away because he's he's a real talented player, and hopefully we can we can we can keep him in the green jersey. He got kicked around the park yesterday, didn't he? Yeah, I think three of them got booked. You know, by tackling <laughs> him, but he's he's very nifty. He's very quick with the ball and. You know, he can invite defenders and players onto him, and he's, he's, he's so skilled and he moves the ball so quickly. He's a, he's a real talent. Interesting that he says he's ready to play for Ireland now. I mean, I guess if you're playing in the Premier League, yeah. albeit off the bench, that's you've got to be good enough for the Ireland team or for the Ireland squad at least. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, the guy's 18 years old. You know, well, he's, he's 19 in a, in a few days' time, nearly 20 years younger than Shay Given. So it would be quite a spread of ages we would have uh, out there. Uh, a player and then another player twice his age. I mean, we don't know yet if Given's going to play because the other thing that he said is look, one of the first things he said was, look, we're not. Doesn't I read somewhere that I demanded I'd be playing automatically? You know, if I, I wouldn't come back unless I was the first choice. Well, that's not true. Um, he says he's just one of the one of the guys. I mean, he was asked whether there might be a little bit of you know awkwardness with the other goalkeepers, given that you know they probably thought he'd retired and. Suddenly he's back, contesting a place, contesting their place, contesting David Ford's place. No, we're all good friends. <laughs> you probably, it's the goalkeeper's fraternity. He said, you probably, you know, you probably read about it. I mean, we tend, we have that real good team spirit with the goalkeepers. You know, we're all good friends, so there's none of that. Martin yeah, like, Neal. you know, Jens Lehmann, people like that. Yeah. <laughs> Oliver Kahn, you know. <laughs> Jens Lehmann, in Paris was, I mean, he, you hear a lot about Jens Lehmann because he was quite explicit about if there's another guy who's a goalkeeper in the squad, I hate that guy. You know, that guy is my enemy. He's essentially my opponent, my real opponent. The other, the teams that we play against come and go, but my real opponent is Manuel Almunia. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if everybody takes quite the same attitude. Well, Martin O'Neill uh, had a word about that, I think, and let's have a listen to him speaking about the impact on other goalkeepers. No, I don't think it, uh, it, do, it doesn't impact anything, really. I, I, again, it's getting back to the point. If you're good enough, if you're going to step into the side, it's up to you, and this is it. And you've, you're asking here about uh, competition for places. I would really, in, in the scheme of things, over the next couple of, uh, couple of years, it'd be nice to have competition for places and, uh, as keenly fought uh, all over the pitch. This is all pitch side, we should mention today, which is why you hear those authentic football sounds. Yeah, you can hear the squad doing drilling, uh, not drilling, um, <laughs> shooting drills. I have to say, guess who's really good McGeady. at shooting drills? No, not, not McGeady, no, come on. Uh, David Ford? No. I'll give you one more guess. Well, well, give me he a plays for the same club as Aidan McGeady. James McGeady. And he's recent, recently back in the squad. Darren, Darren Gibson. Gibson, yeah, he is. But he's known for shooting. Alex Ferguson always had his incredible shooting ability. Darren Gibson can fairly hit a he ball hit a in ball, a shooting yeah. field. I I wonder how much of that has to do with his actual success in his career. His the, the impact of watching him in shooting drills. I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's he looks the part. It's unbelievable. It's ridiculous. He's <laughs> just he does hammer the ball extremely hard. He really does, and. He, okay, he hasn't often brought it into the into the uh, you know, actual games. I mean, I remember he scored a nice goal in the Champions League semi-final. He scored a nice one against West Ham. And of course, who could forget his thunderbolt against Wales? Uh, but on the training ground, I've never seen anything like he's it. The, he's your it's new terif- Wade McGeady. It's terrifying. It's, it's literally terrifying. What else was doing a highlight from Martin O'Neill's contribution? Well, a guy who maybe doesn't have quite as good a shot as Darren Gibson, but maybe... Uh, He's good at a couple of other things in that, in that general scuffling around in the midfield role. Mark Noble, uh, who was obviously on television of goals on Sunday yesterday, um, talking about whether he might play for Ireland. Didn't sound hugely enthusiastic about it, I have to say. Wasn't absolutely buzzing with enthusiasm at the prospect of, of playing for Ireland. Uh, but it seemed that he was maybe giving it some thought. 
having not thought about it before, confirmed his agent had been speaking to Martin O'Neill about possibly making a move. Uh, making a move being choosing to play for the land of his maternal grandparents rather than those of his, the land of his paternal grandparents and indeed parents. Um, so here's what, Martin, uh, here's what Martin O'Neill just had to say on that Mark Noble subject. I think it's like anything else. I think that uh, I think John O'Shea might have made a comment today, which I would wholeheartedly agree with. I think you have to show, you have to, you have to want to play. You know, you want to play for the country, and if, if that's the case, then the encouragement it would be there. But if you know, at some stage or another, if you're if if uh, if you're indecisive about something, well, I'm not so sure that that augurs brilliantly for for stuff. Would you put a time limit on that? I wouldn't. I, no, I can't. I can't turn. I'm just. I'm from my own viewpoint. That's how I would look at it. I want players who, who, really do want to play. Now, if there is such a thing as you can understand, uh, young Grealish at this minute, 18 years of age, maybe having decisions to make one way or the other. I don't really want to put that sort of pressure on. But I'm talking about established players who, who have played for some time. Now, if if uh, if Martin Noble decides that uh, that. England isn't for him then, and, and really genuinely wants to play then I will have a look at it but we'll see Sounds like Mark Noble might be going the way of Kevin Gallen, Chris Armstrong Jamie O'Hara Kevin Nolan, Kevin Nolan. Put this one out on Twitter today. We're quite top heavy with midfielders <laughs> and strikers who almost played for Ireland I couldn't find quite as many defenders out there but yeah. are always welcome that Curtis Davis sound... oh, yeah. Well he might he never know Doesn't sound great from The Martin door O'Neill remains there. open for Curtis Does it though? No, what I think yeah. what happened with, with with Noble is that these what happened essentially was that the, the the event that happened was Roy Hodgson naming his England squad. Mark Noble, who had been the pa- most patient man in English football, quiet, not that anybody had noticed, <laughs> but he'd been waiting, waiting and waiting for Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard to finally retire, opening up the field for a man who you know he's he's been there, he's been he's been waiting his turn. What do we find? Jack Colbeck has skipped the queue. Fabian Delph has skipped the queue. Roy Hodgson doesn't even seem to know Mark Noble's out there. He's, he's not on the Roy Hodgson radar. Uh, maybe Hodgson thinks he's Irish or something like that. Maybe he, you know, maybe he thinks he's over the hill. Noble was saying, people are always saying I'm, I'm really old. I, didn't, I wasn't aware people, people thought Mark Noble was older than he is. Uh, but he's only 27. He's younger than Shane Long. Younger than Luis Suarez, just going to Barcelona for 75 minutes. And players these days, he said on Goals on Sunday, only peak around 30 to 31. So he's still on the up. Like, uh, like Wayne Rooney. Like, well, this, yeah, players take much better care of themselves. He did, he did put that in. You know, Maybe not every player takes better care of himself. But you know, I think that maybe contact was made between O'Neill. I mean, Noble said, his agent, had, he said, I haven't really thought about it. And he talked about how he, I'm an English boy. I mean, you think you're an English this midfield is just player. This weekend, I've God had a chance. This is this. on Sunday. Yeah. yeah, you think you're an English. I'm an English midfield player. I've got to have a chance. And then obviously I'm not in the squad. Oof, you know. But congratulations to Delph. Congratulations to Callback. They've probably been thinking about it their whole lives as well. Getting called up for England, that is. And then he said, you know, he, he said at a later point, it's the pinnacle of every English boy's career to, career to play for England. But he did say, I haven't. You know, as regards Ireland, because I think someone actually read out a text. One of the Ben Shepherd, I think, is the presenter. He said. Uh, great to see that you've got Mark O. Noble on the show. You've got options, of course, Mark. You, you know, you've got you've got parents uh, or your mm. connections to the Republic of Ireland. And uh, he said, "Yeah, my grandparents are full Irish. Uh, my my mother, she's born here, but her bloodline's full Irish." And uh, uh, and he said, "So yeah," but he hadn't thought about it much. But he did say his agent had spoken to O'Neill. Now I think maybe the agent spoke to O'Neill a while ago. Mm-hmm. And of course, a while ago, um, <laughs> a while ago. It, I mean, who would have even thought Mark Noble entertained this insane ambition of one day playing for England? You might have thought a while ago that, well, of course, this lad's never going to play for England. Mm. Joey Barton's got an England cap and he's never even got a call up. It's over for him. Maybe he'd be interested in playing for us. But Mark Noble doesn't feel about it that way. So I don't think we are going to see Mark Noble. He, this, you know, anything could happen in the next couple of weeks. He's, I think, got a much more realistic chance of playing international football for us than he does for England. But 
I think he's prepared to wait out. I think he still believes he's better than guys like Delph and Colback, who are in the England squad. And if w- they can make it, why can't he? Was uh, Mark Noble dressed as a beef eater on goals of Zodozzi? No, he wasn't. He he was. Uh, I mean, he came across. He came across quite well. You know, he in Poulter Union Jack trousers on him, squirming slightly with the with some of the questions. Would you find it strange to be pulling on the green of the Republic of Ireland, becoming a little green man? Uh, wasn't that wasn't the full the question? Didn't have the full. <laughs> Second part of the question, wasn't Yeah, we, we got that. But he said a little bit, but only because I've captained the England under-21s in a European final against, obviously, a great Germany team who have obviously just won a World Cup. Uh, but, you know, football's a strange game. So... Not a great result for a couple of the other green men, Ken. The green men wearing the blue of Everton. Oh. Were they wearing blue? James McCarthy looking a bit... Green around the gills <laughs> after the after the Everton Chelsea game, not his best game uh, for Everton. I mean, not a particularly bad game, but just beaten a few times, lost his man, lost his man for one goal, was dribbled very easily by Eden Hazard. Eden Hazard is one of the best players in the world at this. It's no disgrace. McCarthy getting dribbled resulted in Coleman conceding a known goal. Not to that point, Coleman was having such a good game. He was really having such a great game. And he actually had Gary Neville cheering him on from the commentary box. Gary Neville, abandoning all pretense at impartiality in this, uh, was was indicating what Seamus Coleman was doing to Diego Costa, i.e. niggling at him. Look at him there, having a little nudge there. Having a little... Keep doing it, Seamus Coleman. Keep doing it. He was saying, you know, Diego Costa doesn't like that. Look at him. Look how irritably Diego Costa is reacting. Get away from me. Or, you know, get your hands off me. And... Uh, Neville is shouting encouragement to Coleman. Keep doing it. Go on. He doesn't want you doing that. Keep doing it. Uh, but then Coleman chasing back after Hazard. Hazard goes to cross. Coleman slides across him. Ball deflects off Coleman's studs into the in beating Tim Hearn at the near post. Oh, goal for Chelsea. Diego Costa straight over to Seamus Coleman says something to him. As Coleman is on his knees, you know, with that sort of sad face. And Costa just sort of saunders past him, swaggers along and uh, says something, which causes Tim Howard to completely lose the plot and run over and try and grab Diego Costa, get straight into his face, and then sort of put the, stick the nut on Azpilicueta as well. This is Tim Howard we're talking about here. So I don't know what Diego Costa said, but it seemed like it was quite offensive. Sounds a little bit like the dynamic in the Mayo-Kerry game when uh, Kieran Donaghy was lording it over... Because Jared Caffrey was marking for most of the game. Eventually, Kevin Kane comes on. Slightly bigger than Caffrey. Still giving uh, away... Shorter. Maybe, shorter, but perhaps stockier than Caffrey. Perhaps stockier, but still giving away quite a few inches and probably quite a few stones to Kieran Donahue. But this was a Gaelic footballer coming on off the bench, so he had to get involved in the obligatory shoulders into the ribs oh, yeah. of the opposition. So he gets straight onto Donny, Bang, bang, bang. Donny hitting him back. After four of these. Yeah. I, I would have, if Gary Neville had been co-commentating, he probably would have been cheering Kevin Kane on. Oh, yeah. Because Donny needed to be stopped somehow. He was... Yeah. Just bullying the opposition. Keep doing it, keep doing it. Kept doing it until the point that Donahue just stopped, looked at him for a second and started smiling. As though to say, Kevin, we could do this all day. <laughs> I mean, this isn't taking any energy out of me whatsoever, but we might, we might as well play the rest of this match. It's we really do, entertaining. We do look faintly ridiculous, <laughs> you know. And I'm sorry, but... Yeah. John Terry would look at that and say, think to himself, fair play. Fair play, Kevin Kane. That's what he thought. That's what he thought when Diego Costa did to him. Costa was doing that to loads of people, but I mean, Costa playing brilliantly as well. You know, he he's absolutely ripping it up so far. Um, the best striker in the league, uh, Mourinho is saying. Mourinho, of course. There is a joke that Chris Bascom of the Daily Telegraph um, put in. Uh, the joke doing the rounds. This is when Liverpool were trying to sign Falcao. Chris Bascombe is a guy who covers the Merseyside clubs for the Telegraph um, when Liverpool were trying to sign Falcao. Uh, the joke is that uh, Chelsea, that Jose Mourinho will have to give the OK to, uh, to you know, if, to Falcao, Falcao to sign. I saw he tweeted something about that today. It's good that Chelsea, uh, which he then crossed out, have, uh, and replaced with Monaco, have given the uh, OK for Falcao to join a Premier League crossed out Champions League rival. Um, Can you explain the guy? Jose Mourinho's relationship with George Mendes being so close that anything, any major move by Mendes will have to receive a little tick of approval, uh, just to just to ensure that it's a, that it's not um, conflicting in any serious way with with uh, Chelsea's ambitions. Because after all, you know you gotta, you know you can't be um, 
you, you've got a great working relationship with a guy down the years. I mean, Mendes is Mourinho's agent. They're very close. And you don't want to throw that all away for the sake of making a quick book on some deal. You know, but uh, the point is, that was a joke yeah. by Chris Bascom. Manchester City, Ken, and Joe Hart in particular had a bad day. Joe Hart, legs planted like solid English oaks in the uh, turf, uh, unable to react uh, to a ball that was gently rolled between those mighty oaken legs uh, by uh, uh, Duff uh, for Stoke, who, who managed to win at the City Manchester City. Just unbelievable that Manchester City could make a mess of a game like that. Um, having played so well against Liverpool, and maybe this is the hope for everyone else. I mean, rather, I, I would say, when I say the hope for everyone else who's chasing the title, it's City's inconsistency. They, they were inconsistent last season. Even towards the end of it, they went to the good run. It's still Sunderland. You know, they made a mess of that. They you know, lost the way to Liverpool. But it was the start of the season when they really struggled. They lost to Cardiff and things like this. And that's a, this is a similar kind of result. This is why Chelsea are, should be the favourites for the league. Whatever about Manchester City having the best squad, and I, I actually believe they do, Chelsea are the favourites because I don't see them making these kind of mistakes. Last word in the report on Sport, Ken. Must go to the stars of the show, the Premier League weekend. Brendan Rodgers' shiny white teeth. Amazing. He was smiling so much. Well, he, and, and well might Brendan Rodgers be smiling because what a performance by Liverpool. I expected, I have to say, on Liverpool to struggle in this game. You know, you know the two performances they've had so far, rickety enough against Southampton, um, and then against Manchester City, played okay, conceded a goal, and then began to look a little bit weak. Against Tottenham, absolutely brilliant. This was like the best of them last season. Of course, no Luis Suarez. I mean, they did not play like this without Suarez last season, but they managed to do it against Tottenham. Um, and that's a very promising sign for them. And the... You know, the temptation, I suppose, would be to look at Balotelli's introduction and wonder if maybe... The one thing that you could say about Balotelli, that he definitely did give them that they'd been missing, was just a bit of actual physical strength. Because, I think we talked about this after the Southampton game, the Suarez is very strong, physically, as a, you know, not the, not the biggest setter for, but extremely strong at holding off defenders. Difficult to get the ball off him if he had his body between you and the ball. I don't think... Stur- Sturridge has the strength of a man half his size. Yeah. Um, deceptively lack, deceptive lack of physical strength in, in, in Daniel Sturridge. Um, Balotelli maybe gave them a bit of focal. I mean, there was a, one particular moment um, against Eunice Kabul where you saw it. You know, this Kabul came up behind him and did the thing that you see Vincent Company do a lot when you kind of, I'm not saying boot a striker up the arse, but pretty much, you know, you slam into them kind of quite hard from behind and it usually usually you're able to get through them and get the ball or at least put them off badly. Balotelli it was like running into a wall. This is Kabul. He's a big, powerful player. Balotelli was able to spin around him. Didn't really do a lot else in the game, but maybe having a kind of a focal point enabled Sterling and Sturridge, who both played really well, well, apart from the shooting in the case of Sturridge, um, to kind of, you know, rotate around him a little bit more. I mean, Sturridge does like to kind of come deep a lot and go wide he's not really a centre forward but he is maybe a player who can score a lot of goals playing with a centre forward so promising signs uh, definitely the the point about Rodgers' teeth uh, there was a moment when Balotelli had a shot it was just after that Kabul moment I mentioned the ball broke back to him uh, Lloris had run out of his goal to, to kind of clear it but only the clearance just went to Balotelli who had a chance to score from 45 yards into an unguarded goal which he which he made a mess of dropped to his knees oh no I'm embarrassed. But you can see from one particular angle of a replay, as Balotelli is in the foreground sort of oh, cursing himself, in the background is Brendan Rogers with a maniacal grin. I mean, beautiful Cheshire Cat teeth, and he's applauding furiously like this. And he keeps it up. He keeps doing it because you can see Balotelli there. And you can almost see Rogers' eyes sort of being to, his face is beginning to freeze up a little bit, but he keeps doing it because he knows there might come a moment when Mario Balotelli steals a little glance around to see what his What does Coach Rogers think? And Coach Rogers is there just beaming out from it, like a care bear on the sideline, just beaming from the heart on his chest, beaming positive vibes and confirmation, affirmation towards Mario Balotelli. Say, don't worry, Mario. Pick yourself up. Take another shot. This is your home now. And, uh, you know, Rogers after the match, even started to reclaim the David Brent thing. How so? Well, because Sterling had this run into the box where he, he beat three players brilliantly and then 
scuff the shadow. It was just something to leave. <laughs> I had a complete <laughs> meltdown in front of God. What I, what, I had no idea what to do now. Uh, and Rogers said he ran into the area like uh, Ricky Villa and he finished in like Ricky Gervais. And it was everyone. And he, and he, he said this in all the interviews. You know, he thought, this, that's a great line. I'll use that. I'll use that. <laughs> I mean, that's brilliant. I don't want anyone to miss that. But he said, when he said it in the press conference, someone said, oh, careful now. You know, you don't want people comparing you to David Brent. And he went, oh, you lot have already started that anyway. So it's a kind of a nudge, nudge. Roger's reclaiming yeah. the whole Brent. Suddenly we can laugh about it. It's not a kind of a, you know, not, not, not embarrassing thing. We're, not, la- we're not laughing at him. We're laughing with him. No, we're laughing with him because he's just provided the gag of the, of the week. I love the image of Brendan Rogers sitting at home watching Match of the Day 2 and then realising he'd forgotten, say, to make the gag. Thinking, oh no. I gave it to Sky <laughs> and I gave it, gave it to all the dailies. Gave it to the Sunday guys, and I forgot to give the gag to Lucy. No, no, he, he, maybe he, got, I, he got there. Maybe I could call, you know, Five <laughs> Live or something. Yeah. That's the end of Kennedy's report on sport. All right, that's, that's good manners. <laughs> a number of players have played, but they're still in the squad. I wonder, did you speak to any of them before deciding to accept the job? No, absolutely not. No, 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 no. I'll see none of their business, you know, what I was going to do. It's a ridiculous question. <laughs> And we want to win football matches. There's nothing to tame, you know, some sort of animal, you know what I mean? And you obviously don't know Martin as well as you think you do. He makes me look like Mother Teresa. You know, he's, uh, I don't know. And we want to win football matches. We've had a lovely few days. The hotel's been lovely. Food's been excellent. Training ground is lovely. No potholes. Uh, we've had footballs. It's been great. Bibs, everything. It's been major progress. And we want to win football matches. Let's talk about the move of the, the day so far, maybe of the entire summer, if we can still call it that. John Bruin of ESPN joins us now. John Falcao to Manchester United. I guess what's amazing about this is that he was taken from under the noses of certainly Arsenal, but maybe Manchester City. There hadn't been a huge amount about uh, him maybe going to Man United. And this isn't really how transfers work a lot of the time now. Usually you hear bits dripping, uh, dripping out from one of the clubs or from some source. By the time it actually happens then... It's kind of got a little bit boring. It's just a matter of dotting the eyes. Were you pleasantly surprised by the Falcao story? Absolutely, yes. I mean, I think we probably have to say at this point that something has been going on in the background for a while. But uh, this is almost an old-style transfer, uh, one that happens and it makes headline news when it happens rather than making headline news through a series of somebody's making approach, somebody's interested, stories leaking and all that type of thing. It's actually ha- it's happened just about the point that the news came into the public domain. It's it's good. I mean, I remind, I'm reminded of uh, it's the Manchester United deal of when they signed Andy Cole. Now that was back in 1995. Mm. It's that type of deal that back in those days you'd read it on teletext. I remember uh, a Newcastle supporting friend of mine asked to borrow my flatmate's teletext so he could sit and watch that all day to see how that would develop. And, you know, Falcao has happened in this sort of fashion that nobody knew. Uh, there was a few little things seeping out. I was at Arsenal yesterday, at the Arsenal game yesterday up in Leicester, and uh, Arsenal Veg was asked about him and, you know, made it, didn't look too keen on the on, on it happening, uh, suggested that uh, calls might have been put in that afternoon, but didn't seem as though he wanted to associate himself with the deal, thus meaning he probably wouldn't get, get it done. And then United steal in. Now, next question is obviously, where does Falcao fit in? Yeah, we 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 are going to get to that question. But you, just the fact that you've mentioned Arsene Wenger, he's the big loser in all of this. Poor Arsene Wenger. It's a, I mean that it's just gone up to a boiling point. Um, the the pressure on him today. Uh, the Arsenal fans have seen Manchester United just suddenly out of the blue sign Falcao, a player Arsenal are linked with. You know, it seems as though they've got Falcao quite cheaply. I mean, they're talking about a £6 million loan fee. I'm sure um, substantial wages and, and God knows what other, what other commitments are on. But the fact is, they've got him. Uh, when Arsenal are arguably the club that had greater need for a player of that particular type, um, this, is, uh, this is turning into an ugly day for Arsene Wenger. It is, and yesterday was pretty ugly as well, Sunday. Um, yeah, yeah, so no go. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, this is the problem for Arsenal. Uh, yeah, I think even before Olivier Giroud got injured, 
we're probably talking about the fact that another striker might be a good option. Um, I mean, I, I think that Sanchez will end up playing centrally just because Oxlade-Chamberlain and Theo Walcott will come back. But for the moment, neither of those players are properly fit. And so Sunogo plays and he's been exposed by the manager for being not the player that he is. And the Arsenal fans, I mean, as, as the game ticked into added time yesterday, were singing, well, with including rude words about how uh, Arsenal should sign a striker. Um, he didn't seem convinced that it was going to happen. He wasn't giving much away. The name of Carlos Baca, who plays for Sevilla, was asked of him. Um, his response was... Uh, well, Arsene Wenger can pull some very funny faces, and this is one of the funniest I've seen. Um, <laughs> and he said that, uh, you know, he, sa- he said, actually, if, if, if I give you my phone, you'll probably see all the offers of players that I receive. You, you wouldn't believe how many of these you get. Didn't really seem convinced by his own options. Arsenal need a striker, judging by what I saw yesterday, also what I saw against Besiktas. Um, and as they often do, they've left it to the last minute. Now, last year, they left it to the last minute and got Mesut Ozil. Uh, he's going to have to pull off an even bigger trick than that, you might suggest. Yeah, you would think so. And it could be argued that Arsenal need Falcao more than Manchester United do in the sense of the positions that that, that are required to be filled. This is what you touched on there, John, where exactly he'll fit in. There's talk that maybe three strikers could be played. There could be a move to a 4-3-3. Why not four? Leuven Hall tried four strikers against Ireland. Four strikers against Ireland. Wayne Rooney now drops back into midfield. Uh, Robin Van Persie is going to be injured the whole time, so that's why you need Falcao. Uh, have you any idea what the best theory is there? Well, th- there is this there's this floating story that Van Persie has a knee problem. Um, the, the, the latest I heard was a, a whisper that he, he, he might have gone to... He's, he's in Holland at the moment, I believe. Um... Uh, obviously, the Dutch team will be playing this week or this weekend, um, and uh, that he might be seeing a specialist. The story is that Van Gaal persuaded him and United that uh, Van Persie wouldn't play for two months of the season after the Olympiacos game because he could, so he could play in the World Cup, not knowing at this point, obviously, that Van Gaal would become United manager. Um, I think with Val- Falcao, it was an opportunity spotted. Uh, and then they fit the player in after, which is happening quite often with United. If we think about Fellaini, Mata. Um, it, it's, you know, of the signings that they've actually made, um, Blind and Herrera are the only two signings that you think actually would fit into what um, Louis van Gaal wants to do. Even Di Maria, for all that money, you're beginning to wonder where he fits in, though on Saturday he played as a part of the midfield three and did very well there. Um, Falcao ultimately is, you know, the best, well, for, for a couple of years, was the best striker in Europe. We, we wonder how he's going to be after coming back from injury. Um, I mean, I've seen him play a couple of times. The, the point that stands out for me uh, was over there in Dublin, actually, where he scored that header in the Europa League final. Um, he's a pure striker, um, a player that reminds me maybe of Gabriel Batistuta or somebody like that. He's a step up, if at his very best. Is a step up for Manchester United from what they have now, even though they do have uh, Wayne Rooney, even though they do have Van Persie. So it's a good deal. Fitting him in is Van Gaal's job. Um, the only problem is that when you look at United's team at the moment, you don't know where anyone fits in. So this is just maybe just another question for Van Gaal to answer. Well, uh, luckily Van Gaal is a smart man, as I think he said again over the weekend. I'm a smart coach. He did, yeah. And so this is, this is the kind of thing that smart coaches do. You know, Ed Woodward... Uh, having been the villain two weeks ago, is now casting the role of Santa Claus, having provided uh, Lou Van Gaal with a, an array of amazing uh, talents. Uh, you know, he's he's shown that money is no object. He's made good on on everything he said. He's thrown money around like a drunken sailor, and he's equipped Van Gaal with uh, a considerably more talented squad than he had uh, just a, a couple of weeks back. So, does this mean that Ed Woodward? has rescued his own reputation. I mean, I, I hesitate to say that, that that's the most important thing from Ed Woodward's point of view. I'm sure the club is the biggest thing uh, pretty much in, in his in his whole world. But at the same time, he might be feeling a little bit better about his own image in the eyes of the supporters. Yes, uh, I, I would expect to see the odd little newspaper story explaining how such deals happen um, <laughs> and how... Uh, uh, you know, Ed Woodward managed to get these deals done. Um, let's credit Woodward with with getting with actually living up to his promises, though. But while uh, while also having a bit a bit of a laugh about it, I, I think the thing is, 
Um, Falcao is interesting because Falcao's agent, uh, I'm not sure you can even call him an agent these days, his representative, his overlord, the overlord of football, Mendes, Giorgio Mendes. Um, it seems to me that uh, Woodward has got back into bed with the Mendes camp for United, and that's a good thing if you want to get into the, the I suppose, the richest vein of uh, European footballers. And I suppose this is the problem that w- w- previously, one of the problems with Woodward getting deals done like the he couldn't get the deals over the line because he probably didn't know the people that he, he needed. I mean, I've heard some weird and wonderful stories. I've been phoning people who, you know, ostensibly journalisms or journalists or professional fans asking if he can get contacts from, say, the clubs that he's trying to buy players from. Now, if you get in with the Mendes camp, which he has done by parking one of their primed assets at his club, then Woodward's is in the game now, isn't he? So let's, let's say that... He, is box quite clever with this deal. Um, be interesting to see how the play turns out. But um, Manchester United are a big player, and if you also, <clears throat> if you ask Manchester United fans at the start of the transfer window, what do you think you're going to get? Most of them, having having spent so many years where United don't really live up to their transfer promises, have suddenly got a raft of world stars. They've also got rid of some of the players that are not particularly liked and not wanted. Um, although Anderson does remain. Uh, they, it's been a good transfer summer for them. It's not complete because I think we we, we would all recognise that there's no midfielder, there's no defender there. But it's been a good transfer summer for Ed Woodward, I'd say. Does it signify, you think, this signing, a change in tack by Manchester United, that maybe this is the start of them going for, if you want to call it a Galactico project, because Woodward has boasted that he can do that. He has the pockets and he's showing it now to actually make these sort of signings. So maybe this is the way it'll be from for the next few years. You sign the big names and then you leave the manager to work out, as you say, what to do with them. Yeah, I mean, the only thing is, though, one of the things I heard about this in a loan deal is that uh, one of the reasons United didn't pay full price out for Falcao is that it's financial fair play is a concern of theirs. Mm. So even with United's vast wealth, I think that they're probably concerned about financial fair play. They don't want to go too near the margins of that. We've seen how it's clipped the wings of uh, City and PSG. I mean, both City and PSG are the type of clubs that would have snapped up Falcao before these regulations came in. Um, They've splashed out, but United being United, the owners being who they are, this does look like one big splash for the sake of it in, in in an attempt to save themselves. Because the thing is, United need to spend the money to get into the Champions League to get the, to start bringing revenue back through for football rather than just the commercial world. Um, I can't see them doing this every year um, unless they start to make even more money because it's run on a prudent basis or as has been. Um, and also there is still a significant debt to pay. It is a change in the, in the culture, though. I mean, the, the big thing about the Galactico culture at Real Madrid and, and also at other clubs where, you know, who have historically paid big fees for superstar players, is that the players are the main event of the club and the manager is just a guy who's an interchangeable bag of meat in, a, in an expensive <laughs> suit. And, you know, when whenever the team doesn't win something, the manager just gets ejected and a fresh one is brought in to, uh, you know, to be next year's scapegoat. And that's that's maybe going to be the concern for Louis van Gaal here. I mean, you spend as much money as a club, um, you expect to get results. It's 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 very different from the days of Alex Ferguson when he was by far the biggest man at the club, uh, and it was that way for years and years. Uh, almost when a player got too big, he would he would sort of get rid of those guys. Um, but van Gaal is dealing with a completely different environment now. Yes, it's such a different club, isn't it? Even from twelve months ago, where. David Moyes was trying to almost relive the Ferguson era era by building it up as some sort of cottage industry run on sort of Glaswegian values or something like that. Van Gaal, I suppose, one thing is that he's used to managing at the super clubs. Um, He's also used to getting sacked. Um, He he would, I think, is a thing with Van Gaal. um, Whenever I've been at his press conferences this season. The confidence of the man is seems fairly unshakable. 
I don't think he's too bothered by what journalists have to say. Um, he has been sacked by um, some of the biggest clubs in Europe a number of well, times. Well, exactly. I mean, why not be sacked by another? I mean, it's not... <laughs> It, 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 I don't think he's concerned. I, I don't think Van Hal is someone who seems fairly fearless about these things, um, which is perhaps why he's a good choice for a club who's changing the profile in such a fashion. And he's managed big players throughout his career. I mean, even beyond, I mean, Ajax obviously were players that he farmed himself, but he went to uh, Barcelona and, and worked with some some big players, although he didn't get on with all of them. I mean, that is one of the things with Van Hal. Um we can expect to see some bumps and bruises on the way with Van Gaal and the players. Uh, the pressure is on um, Van Gaal now. Edward could argue, um, and I think that this is something that I've, I've heard, that he would argue that uh, people having said that the transfer business should be taken away from him or maybe a director of football brought in, it's something we've discussed, I know. Um, he would now say, well, listen, I'm getting the deals done. Um, I'd be interested to see what Van Gaal's view is of signing a striker when he has said publicly many times uh, that he would need a midfielder and uh, a centre-back. So, um, yeah, you've got a clash of cultures. It's not dissimilar to Real Madrid, Barcelona, those type of clubs. Manchester United had to change once Sir Alex Ferguson left the club. Um, This is a pretty seismic change, you have to say, don't you? Yeah, there may still be time. Um, today to do a loan deal with Arsenal for Jack Wilshere or something, and maybe Falcao. Well, maybe Van Persie goes. There back might to... still be time because we're we're recording this, you know, to half two ish, and yeah. there's still time for something else to happen. What What do you say, John? By the time uh, by the time people listen to this, a lot of the people who listen to this are going to hear it. They're going to know whether you're right or wrong. But have Manchester United <laughs> finished doing all their business in the transfer window? Well, I, I suppose the only thing is um, the, the rumours are that there is a, you know, a midfielder comes in. Um, although they have already signed Danny Blind, or that's just being done. That's the player that they need. Just just talking about the performance that I saw at Burnley. Um, poor old Darren Fletcher, a player that I think everybody would want to do well. Him fetching and carrying it, it wasn't a good look for the United. They need somebody in that position to do, to do the job for them. Uh, whether they get that done or not, I'm not sure, but... I'm told that a, a midfielder may come in. You mean Arturo Vidal is going to sign for Manchester United in the next 10 hours? <laughs> Go on, I'll say it. Why not? Vidal it is. <laughs> Vidal to join United. Well, there we, there, we not, there we have it. John Bruin, ESPN. Brilliant. Thank you. Cheers. Well, if Arturo Vidal happens, Ken, you've got to start cutting Ed Woodward a bit of slack, surely. Um, he's signing everyone if he gets that one under uh, over the and that I mean that would line. that would go directly to this the the kind of conventional thinking about the problems that they have. I mean, you, you've got a player in there who is a real kind of a warrior in midfield. You know, a guy who runs more than other players on the field, who's aggressive, who's competitive, who's tenacious, um, who's a good you know, footballer as well. Takes excellent penalties. Uh, not that they're short of penalty takers. So. You know, what you've got is this um, Galactico squad, as you've been saying. Real Madrid style, yeah. The thing that I wonder about, though, is I don't understand how a Glazer-owned Manchester United can hope to go down the Real Madrid route to emulate what Real Madrid do. Because in order to do that, you've got to be prepared to lose millions consistently. Real Madrid do that consistently. They, They make losses. Now, maybe there is a... Maybe the, the financial fair play is, is changing things a little bit. You know, I mean, United are one of the only clubs who have a, uh, a turnover. now. And if spending power is going to be related to your turnover, you can, you can spend kind of a certain percentage of, of what you're making. Um, then maybe they, you know, if Real Madrid are going, to be, are going to keep within that themselves, then maybe, you know, they can sort of compete. I mean, what Real Madrid do is... Uh, is essentially they've they made a decision a long time ago, you know, when Fiorentino Perez came in, that it wasn't going to be that they were, they were going to kind of leave aside this conventional team-building principles. You know, this sort of, well, you know, we, you know, we've got a certain amount of positions and we want to have a certain style of play and, you know, which players should we go for for which position? You know, that's not it. They're just going for the biggest players. And you get the biggest players and then the, other, the others want to join. They're kind of looking from their, you know small-time clubs around Europe and thinking, I wish I was there. You know, I wish I was being, 
you know, introduced to the Bernabeu. I wish I was there with Ronaldo and, you know, James Rodriguez. There's only one place he wanted to go. He's like, I've, I've won a move to Real Madrid. Tony Kroos, the same thing, you know. They, so once you get a certain amount of these kind of uh, huge stars, it generates its own gravity. It sort of pulls in other, other stars and it becomes a self-sustaining reputation where they can, for a large amount of money that they spend on transfers every, every summer pretty much, guarantee that they're going to have two or three of the best players in the world and in their team. that can happen at Manchester United. Will that not happen just purely based on what's happening this summer alone? Well, that seems to be what they're trying to do. But yeah. the point about Real Madrid's strategy, at least the way that it always has worked, is that they consistently run into debt doing this. So, because they spend more and more, you know, and especially if they're going to be suddenly competing with, you know, no one has really been competing with them. Look at all the transfer records over the last little while. You know, most of the top transfers are, are Real Madrid. They keep breaking their own world transfer record. You know, no one else is in that ballpark. But maybe suddenly Manchester United are looking at it. The question, though, that I would have is, how do the Glazer family, who everybody knows are, are doing this to make money, are, are, are in this for profits, how are they going to sort of give their blessing to a strategy which involves losing money? Mm. I, don't, I don't really see it. So unless they're thinking of it even differently, unless they, they actually think... There's a couple of things about it here. The one thing about the Glazers is that they have shown a certain amount of vision in terms of how where the price of Manchester United could go. I mean, when they, when they bought Manchester United, it was, what, a little over 500 million. It's worth a lot more than that now. Maybe people are surprised at the extent to which they were able to control the, the debt, you know, not so much get, crunch the debt down as the amount of money they were able to, to make in order that the, pay, the debt payments weren't really a problem. Um, but this kind of spending at the moment, this is, this, this is the kind of thing that drives you into the red. I don't think they really have an appetite to do that in the long term. Maybe it's a one-off thing for them, I'm not sure. Or maybe they're thinking it might be time to sell the club to someone who is prepared to, to make losses. All right, let's get back to the Republic of Ireland camp now. You heard earlier from Shay Given, who's returned to the fold, Martin O'Neill, talking about Mark Noble, amongst others. Ken also spoke to Emmett Malone of the Irish Times, pitch side in Malahide. No doubt what the big deal here today is, Emmett, is uh, Shay Given coming back. I mean, what, what's, what do you make of it? What's your own opinion of this move? Yeah, well, bo- both, uh, both Given and, and the manager there were kind of at pains to, uh, to uh, argue that there was nothing in these uh, reports that he's been guaranteed a starting place. And, and I think that puts a different complexion on it. I mean, that was, I think, the most worrying concern of it, that in some way O'Neill was going, going to have tied himself to selecting Given to play, which, which I think would have caused resentment uh, amongst the other, uh, the other goalkeepers and would just seem like a remarkable thing to have done and um, we'll wait to see whether he starts or not he didn't sound entirely convinced or convincing that uh, Given was going to start the Georgia game or even at one stage he raised questions about whether he'd travel um, but certainly um, if that's the case if, if Given has indeed come in on the basis that he simply made himself available again then that's, that can only be a positive thing really You think so? Yeah, I don't see what the what the problem with him coming in on that basis is. I mean, it's purely, purely because it's not really a, it's not much of a lot of confidence in the other in, in the existing sort of goalkeepers, well, of which mo- we've got three. Yeah, at the moment he's one of four. Um, I think if 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 the deal is that he's made himself available to be selected, um, and there's no tie to uh, him playing, um, I don't see what the problem is. Um, I, I think it's going to be an interesting week in terms of how much he plays. I, I certainly think he's going to get some game time against o- Oman. Uh, O'Neill has suggested there that he will, if only because he's still in the process of of weighing up what sort of contribution he can make. Uh, O'Neill also bigged up the uh, the sort of uh, benefit that his experience can be to the other goalkeepers um, you know he, he made it sound like he's bringing other things to the party other than his, his presence on the field during games and, and I think there's a certain amount to be said for that I think a lot depends here on what the understanding is of what the terms are of his return and how Ford and West would take that but O'Neill said at one point you know quite 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 you know, candidly, that for him it's a question of getting the best team on, on the pitch. And if 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 given is in his view uh, the best goalkeeper that we have at the moment, um, which is something I would find intri- both interesting and slightly remarkable, given the lack of first team football that he's played over the last while, then that's his call to make. Yeah, one of the things that given might be doing. Uh, I mean, O'Neill said he doesn't want to do this. Is um, talk to Jack Grealish about the joys of um, of being Irish. Uh, yeah, well, that would be that would be a remarkable thing to have to do. Um, 
Uh, Grealish seems to be a, a, a great prospect. I, I find it hard to believe that we're going to have it. I, I, obviously, this works the reverse way with English players, you know, players who've played at underage level for England all the time, and it never seems to cause me a problem at all. But I, I am finding it a little bit hard to, to get my head around the fact that a guy who's come up through the ranks playing for Ireland uh, is now kind of weighing up whether he, he should switch to uh, and declare for England. Um, I, I think, you know, it is understandable that a guy of that age who is making his way in the early stages of his senior club career, breaking into the team there, being regarded as a prospect. Good, lo- good enough, according to Given, to play for Ireland right now. Play, play for the Ireland senior team. Absolutely, and, and Given is talking about him there, playing you know over 100 times for Ireland. He's really, he's really talking very positively about him. Uh, he seems to be you know, pointedly avoiding talking about the fact that he could be he's easily good enough to play for England as well. I am... Um, I think that there's a lot of pressure on a young guy like that to declare for England in the English game because that increases his value, it increases his wage levels, increases a lot of things, and it's probably difficult for a young player in that situation to resist those temptations. But, yeah, it's still a little bit frustrating that he would have to be talked into playing for Ireland after, after coming through the ranks with us. The other thing is Mark Noble, who, um, who did say yesterday on Sky that his agent had spoken to, yeah. uh, had spoken to Martin O'Neill yeah. or had spoken to the Irish management, he didn't specify Martin O'Neill necessarily but uh, I think that was confirmed today, yeah Yeah. so he didn't, um, I must say sound overly enthusiastic about uh, the prospect of playing for Ireland in your opinion is that uh, is that something which we should uh, take into account, is it a case of well you know if, if, you, if you don't seem to be if you're not mad keen, if you're not signing up immediately then the offer's off the table um, I don't think he could afford to take offers off the table. I think Trapattoni got himself into a kind of mess a few times where he discarded players and um, and paid a price for it in terms of his dealings with the media when things weren't going so well. I think uh, O'Neill would be rash to discard anybody to rule anyone out. Um, I do think in an absolutely ideal world, all you know, the whole th- question of international eligibility would be re- resolved by a player looking deep into his heart and uh, and declaring to the world what he found there. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. Um, Noble has been a target for the FAI and for Ireland managers for quite some time now. The word back has always been very, very firmly that he saw himself as, as an English player who wanted to play for his country. And that's absolutely to be respected. Unfortunately, the way this works is that he retains the option to declare for us. Um, players make uh, these decisions on all sorts of um, bases and, um, he, he, you know, if he declares for us, he's got to be considered, I think. Um, I do think he'd do himself a favour now by not, uh, by not kind of torturing himself too publicly about it for any length of time. He should, uh, if, 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 he's, if he's been knocked back by um, the failure of Roy Hodgson to include him in the squad at the weekend when he thought he was going to get a chance because of the retirement of players like Frank Lampard um, then he needs to get over that and get on with it pretty quickly otherwise he should probably forget about it Very briefly do you think he is a player who would improve our, our team our first team? I think he certainly improves our squad um, and um, uh, if you have everybody fit I think it's a bit of I, I think he's a player you could certainly make a case for um, he's a decent player he's a good footballer technically good um, works very hard I, I, a lot of experience um, I think you know I, I, I probably Probably um, not one of the more enthusiastic uh, James McCarthy fans, um, but there are certainly games there where you could see things that Noble would do that would improve for some of our performance on the team. And um, uh, to have him in the mix there with Gibson and Whelan as well, I, I, I think could only be a good thing. Yeah, the Mark Noble case and the, the Jack Grealish ones are very. As Emmett says, it's, you, it's, it's easy to feel different about them. I mean, we don't. We can't really be too churlish about Jack Grealish if he does decide to move away from the Irish setup because we've taken enough. But the natural feeling is still to think, no, that's really unfair. We've built this guy up and we should keep him. Now, the Mark this Noble, is how Northern Ireland feel. Exactly how Northern Ireland feel. The Mark Noble situation is different. We discussed it a little bit earlier on, but I know you were writing in the paper today that you think this idea that a player mightn't be fully committed because he doesn't go straight away isn't that big a deal. Hmm. If Mark Noble said tomorrow, actually, I've thought about it a lot, I want to play for Ireland. Would you be happy enough with that? Yeah, would you? I would. O- O'Neill seems to think that whatever about patriotism or any of those Irish identity, any of those pff, more difficult to define notions, the important thing presumably is how much you're actually going to give to the team. Yeah. So is that, would that be an issue that well, if they're only half-hearted about that, it doesn't necessarily matter how Irish they feel, but if they're the type of personality who might only give half of it, then yeah. it's probably not worth it. No, that, absolutely. That is the important thing, um, you know, in terms of Whatever their reason for being here, are, are they prepared to play with full commitment? Are, are they going to give everything that they have? And 
Noble is, is generally kind of a wholehearted kind of a player. If he was to do it, I'm sure that his, you know, I'm sure that he would he would play for us like he plays for West Ham. You know, it would be as important for his professional pride to do that. I mean, you, you don't know. You don't know how a player's going to react. Has every Irish-born player always given 100% for Ireland? <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe we could argue that. I mean, what, what, is it? what is an Irish player anyway? I mean, according to Irish citizenship law, being born in Ireland doesn't necessarily make you Irish. You know, I think it said something like that in their passports. Oh, you know, everyone born in the Ireland. Well, that's not true. You could be born here, and if your parents aren't Irish... That means that you, that means that you're not necessarily. So if you know, how, how do you define what is Irish or not? Here's a guy with two Irish grandparents who has never given a thought to Ireland. <laughs> you know, uh, he they're could, full Irish though. The, the grandparents they, are full Irish. They are. I mean, he could be. He could play for Ireland. He could be a good team. You know, Jack Jack uh, Grealish. You know, we'd be we'd all be delighted. Mm-hmm. You know, if he at the end of a long process of deliberation decided that his heart, you know, was lay across lay on the western shore. Well, you know, metaphorically. <laughs> um, but yeah, and yet there are people born in this country. The western shore of the British Isles. Was that what you were going to say there? Uh, the the western living on your western shore, the Falcons Nest, and all. You know the song I'm talking about? Song for Ireland. Uh, no, sorry, I have no <laughs> recollection. I'm sorry, Ken. I mean, I I get roughly thirty five percent of your references. This one <laughs> lies within the sixty five percent out. Um, but just, I mean, there are people born in this country who don't get Irish citizenship, even though they were born here. That's our citizenship law. So but of course, those people haven't proved themselves on the football field yet. <laughs> you know, they, these are infants, infants to, born to, uh, you know, non We can't expect them to carve out a perfectly respectable Premier League career. Yeah, what have they ever done? They're no, no Jack Grealish's, they're not even in Mark Noble territory. You know, so born here doesn't make you Irish. Not for those guys, but in the case of Grealish Noble, you know, just please say that you are. We had a good chat with one of the key men in Donegal's win against Dublin, Eamon McGee, on our first show today, along with Oshie McConville and Anthony Moyles. You can listen to that, uh, along with all the other podcasts in the Irish Times, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. You can listen to all our shows on iTunes and SoundCloud on the Podcast Republic app for Androids. And thanks very much for listening today. It's the last thing I really have to say, besides thanking you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen, and thank you, Ken. Thank and you, Kieran, and you, thank you, Owen. Thanks so much. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.